This is TDPS. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And it's a big, exciting day here at the TDPS studio on Sunset well, Boulevard. it's actually the same size day, but it's exciting. It's exciting. What did I say about size? I said it was it... a big, exciting day. Oh, I was yeah, like, yeah. really? It's big? What's 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 bigger about today than another day? It's 25 and a half hours <laughs> today only. <laughs> you know what, Eric Shaw Quinn? Yes, you're always questioning Rice. things and picking things apart. You should just, you know, go with the flow once in a I'm while. I'm just actually listening. <laughs> Maybe other people should try listening. But it's my years as an actor, I think, because then I listen. You, you, oh, okay. Because acting, when you're acting, when you're on stage, you have, what you're doing is listening to what the other people are saying and having a response, whether it's out loud or not, mm-hmm. to what they're saying. Also, it's a good idea because sometimes they just say whatever the hell they want to and it's not what's in the script. And right. You need to react to that anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. If you just, who did that? Trying to remember. You were telling like we me a story. In. You were telling me a story the other day of a friend who you were on stage with her in a play, and your job in the script was to lip sync the line that she was reading, oh, yeah. and she would always change the line, so you would have to stumble over the lip. She was playing my mother, and yeah. so every time I was playing goat in Robber Bridegroom, and she was playing my mom, and uh, every time I would say, and my mama always says, and then she would say the line, and I would just lip sync the, the. Um, the words and the, there would be a big laugh and whatever and she said a different thing every time and it was like this is really hard um and then one day we were talking about it and she was like i have this one li- I, it was a small part i have this one line and it gets a big laugh and i was like actually i'm getting the big laugh yes and she died when i told her it was like yeah i'm actually trying to if you'd say the same line every week it would really be every time it would really be great every week i would every week where were you yeah. on broadway yeah, it was the it was the very leisurely production of Robert <laughs> bradgrove a week once a week we did it if we felt like it we felt like it in the park no no it was it was daily it was all right all right that's enough about all that eric Shawquin. i'm trying to talk to people about our new microphones Poor tad up darling um, we have new microphones here in the studio and 
they're so professional looking and they're Does it sound any different? What do you think? What do you guys think? Does it sound better? Tell us on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page if it sounds any different. He was complaining about it just before we started about how it sounded in his headphones. I don't want to get too spiritual about this. But but I think he's just hearing his own voice more accurately. I I think I'm hearing, I think I'm, what I'm noticing is the absence of the sound issues in our previous microphones. Normally that every P I pit, it pounded like pith. I realize there are no P's in those words I just said, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like this the the joke from where the city slickers go out to the country inside and they're like, What's that smell? And it's fresh air. Ha ha ha. Yeah, exactly. We've all seen that joke, right? In or every sitcom where a city this, slicker goes to the countryside. The sad child who learns how to run with their foot in a bucket. And they, they think walking with your foot in a bucket is the normal way of walking. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get too psychological about it. I, I don't, you know. Anyway, let's move on from the microphones. This is clearly a loaded topic for the two of us. But no, they, they're gorgeous. Christopher's having a totally different experience of today's much bigger show. <laughs> it's much more that exciting. Be exactly the same length as all the of the other ones. The excitement is bigger. The excitement is bigger. I see. We Don't make a, me hand gesture you. Very, oh, Mr. Rice, you have such a large excitement. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of excitement up in here. Listen, but w- this is all distracting from what we're really going to talk about today. What are we really going to talk about today? And, uh, I was hoping it would be something because, God, these people must be <laughs> bored by now. What are they talking about? What's up with the two of them? <laughs> More robber bridegroom references. Um, got any seven brides for seven brothers stories? While I we're could on sing it? one of the songs. No, no, from no, the show. no, no. Okay, no, no we're good. Um, I you, that would shut you up. Every now and then, you get wildly obsessed with a really weird show on television, and this is not a true crime TV club today. But every now and then, <laughs> every week, you get really weirdly I, obsessed. I find these. It's one of the joys of streaming television is that there are just all of these wacko shows. Remember the, um, what was it called? The Goes Wrong Show? Mm, yes. Oh, amazing. God, that was amazing. It's a show where they do plays where everything goes wrong mm-hmm. and every week is a new play. It's but they do really... real plays that you would know, that anyone would know, and everything goes wrong, right? It's like Romeo and Juliet or... Well, or, they do, or they do fake plays that you oh, don't yeah. know that they where everything goes wrong. Yeah, sometimes it's written for that, and sometimes they like they did Peter Pan. They did a Peter Pan, and they did Christmas Carol. Yeah, but um, they may have done Romeo. I don't think they did Romeo and Juliet. And then they did, uh, you know, like the sort of archetypal um, mystery show, murder mystery mm-hmm. show. It was just God. That was that first one where. The, the door was too low. <laughs> yes. It's a great show. If you're somebody like me who can watch news bloopers for 48 hours on repeat, this is the show for you. Yeah. The scenery falls on them and the props don't work. And Yeah. And they um, they scream, Christopher. Eric Shaw Quinn, I'm going to ask you to set those glasses aside because you do being a little fidgety and it's coming up on is, the recording. Christopher is obsessed with things that I do with my hands. You got you got your hands move a lot. You're always typing. You're always telling a story in your mind. Christopher, who writes in the air, I do. As I, I caught s- him once in the car writing in the air, and it scared him so bad I thought we were going to. No, him. you caught me in the car having an imaginary fight with Laura Ingram on the View. That's what you caught me doing, and on I was the on the View. She was the guest host on the View like Laura twenty years Ingram ago. Yeah, the, it was during the Iraq War. It was that long ago. Um, and Whoopi and she are not in prison today. Whoopi wasn't on the show yet. Mm. It was pre Whoopi View, it or she would pre- have killed her. Yeah, exactly. Or so, she would have killed Whoopi one way or the other. Exactly. Um, so the point I was trying to make was, um, you and I are both really weird, but I have a lot of nervous ticks. But I was saying that to my friend once, and I phrased it, I've got a lot of nervous ticks under my belt. And she really thought I had said, I've got a lot of nervous dicks under my belt. And she says that to me now. Every time she sees me, I have multiple nervous dicks. None of this is what we're talking about today. I don't know I why d- you won't let you me get to our subject. keep bringing this up. I just, well, knock yourself out, Christopher. It's spooky season. It's spooky season. We're doing spooky episodes. It's October. It's Halloween adjacent. We're sneaking up on Halloween. And so Eric has been obsessed with this miserable fucking show on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) I actually quite enjoyed this episode. But it's The Unexplained with William Shatner. I just think William Shatner is sublime. He is just... (laughs) about your William Shatner he feelings. Is a, he is a man who is aware. William Shatner is in on the joke. 
Like William Shatner, a long, long, long time ago in 1966, Mm -hmm. tripped and fell face first into not just a tub of butter, Mm -hmm. but an entire cow. You know, like it's, he's just, it is the luckiest break that a mediocre actor ever got. Mm -hmm. I love him. He's fine. His Denny Crane was one of the most sublime. That was his character on The Practice, the ABC show. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that was what it was called. Candace Bergen and he and Mm -hmm. um, James James Spader. Spader. It was, oh my God, what a great show. But the greatest thing on it was William Shatner because he is just like he is, he's better at playing um, a satire of William Shatner than Mm -hmm. anything else he does. Mm -hmm. And his, over dramatic reading of the um, the narration in the unexplained is just yes. I mean it's just ice on glass. Years ago, when I first moved to Hollywood, I went to uh, a friend came from out of town who was a stage manager from Broadway, and he had stage managed David and Sean Cassidy's run as on Broadway in a show called Blood Brothers. Mm. I don't know what the show's about, but they were both in it. I mm-hmm. think a number of different people they were yeah. cast in it over the years, and they were um, stepbrothers. And uh, and so they did the show together. And so when my friend came, we went to we got to go to lunch at the Universal Fancy Commissary mm. next at the table next to Lou Wasserman's. Nobody mm. else is old enough to even remember. Well, let's talk just briefly. Lou Wasserman was the most powerful man in Hollywood. He Absolutely. ran MCA for a really long time. So owned Universal Studios. I mean, he was just the Black Tower in Universal City. That was Lou Wasserman's building, man. He was the old school mogul. I think he was an oil man who came in and yes. bought into the the movie business. But yeah, he was Hollywood. He was Hollywood. Anyway, okay, sorry. That so was he was. It was that kind of. It was that yeah. kind of room. And one of the things there were a lot of different things about that lunch that I loved. But one of the things I remembered was William Shatner's offices were near Sean Cassidy's offices. I was just starstruck to be sitting at the table with Sean fucking Cassidy. Sure. Um, who was. A babe. It was still it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, he still looks fine, but yeah. back in the day, wow. Um, yeah. uh, the uh, so he was talking about. He said the thing that's really strange about um, William Shatner is that you most of the time you don't know that it's William Shatner. Like mm-hmm. he's this fat bald. Jewish guy who mm-hmm. comes waltzing in at the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As opposed to when he takes off that wig, mm. he just disappears. He mm-hmm. becomes this old, you know, mm-hmm. fat bald guy. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was such, because I'd never thought about that before because my only experience was Captain Kirk at sure. that point. So I was like, wow, what a, you know, what a, a, an idea that the guy that the whole image of him just completely evaporates when he comes out of the makeup trailer. It's right. gone. Yeah. I love that story. So, okay. So, uh- <laughs> and I love that it's over. <laughs> I just didn't. I didn't interrupt the whole time. I was. I was. I was feeling proud of myself. Um, so this show is basically an episode will be devoted to some paranormal phenomenon. He will come out, and I'm going to say terrible lighting. Just terrible, terrible, terrible lighting. I just, yeah, it's like just this big room with, yeah. I guess, green screens in it that he reacts. Oh, yeah. And then he does these really dramatic, D.I., dramatic mm. interpretations right. of these um, weird little readings that are kind of maybe sort of relevant, where he tries to make Bigfoot sound like a significant conversation oh, yeah. or whatever it's and it's soup to nuts like i think it opens with the pyramids and it does weird animals and you know yes. strange um uh, i will be watching more of it you have converted me i will be watching more of it but today so much fun we're talking about the uh, episode 15 this is available on netflix and again please don't feel like you have to watch this we're going to serve it up for you in such detail that you can talk about it as if you had without going to the trouble um and the episode is entitled vampires and werewolves what an appropriate topic for spooky season. So Christopher and Eric's spooky time. So let's go to my notes. New Orleans, Louisiana, of course. 1903, police arrive at a gruesome scene. A local prostitute lies bloody and battered, legs shattered in three places. I think I wrote this wrong, but I wrote eyewit- <laughs> eyewitnesses say she intentionally left from a balcony. <laughs> 
I think I meant to say leapt from a balcony. Very much more poetical. <laughs> I'm sick of this door. I'm leaving off the balcony. Ah! So anyway, she learned her lesson. Um, we're introduced to Jonathan Weiss, New Orleans historian, who tells us that uh, this uh, woman had been hired by a gentlemanly guy who'd paid for her time and been generous. And then he attacked her with unnatural swiftness, pulled her head to the side and began to rip at her flesh. I don't know where this account is coming from, given that um, this woman is dead. So I, it's not like she told investigators that this was how things unfolded inside yeah, the that's room. A, that's one of your tip-offs with this kind of <laughs> inquiry. Yeah, uh, it's like how and where did this information come from? I don't know. She's dead. So the man is somehow eventually identified as Jacques Saint Germain, an affluent member of the upper class who hosts elaborate dinner parties in New Orleans, but never eats and takes all his sustenance from bottles of air quotes, red wine, end air quotes. With his fancy name. The police go to question him and find his preferred wine is actually blood. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of talking heads, and a surprisingly high number of them are professors of stuff at what sound like reputable, reputable excuse me, universities. So I'm like, okay. I'll go with it, you know. Yeah, the the Secretary of Agriculture used to be a man named Earl Butts, as I recall. Uh-huh. I think that's right. And uh, we used to, when I was back in my debating times, when he was Secretary of Agriculture, or former Secretary of Agriculture, there was a saying in the debating community that for a nickel, Earl will say anything. <laughs> <laughs> if you needed a quote, you could go find Earl and you'd probably have said it at some point and you could... Well, to quote the Secretary of Agriculture, he says so-and-so. Yeah, and there's another, I think, trend that we see a lot with, because we do paranormal shows on here a lot, which is professors of religion and theology can easily come on these shows and talk about, well, what some people believe is this crazy thing about a magic tree, and it doesn't besmirch their reputation because they study what people believe. And so they don't come on here claiming that we're on a doomsday clock to an alien invasion, but... They just talk about what other people yeah. say. And sometimes you can really, if you just are looking for laughs, you can go through and read the titles of some of the people who come on <laughs> to talk on these. Cryptozoologist Crypto, is pretty close. Cryptozoologist is probably my favorite. And we've got one here. Although I, I'll say, in my opinion, he ends up sounding like one of the most level-headed of the bunch. His name's Ken Gerhard. Well, if you're a cryptozoologist, you really have to go with level-headed. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Okay, so we're besieged at this point in the episode of The Unexplained by a lot of talking heads. We have Jonathan Weiss, who we've already met. We have Joseph Laycock. Because, and this is the question that they ask at the beginning of the show, do vampires and werewolves actually exist? And the answer is no. And so <laughs> they have to fill, they have a lot of time to fill after that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they they got to bring in a lot of speculators. That's what I think we should call these people, the speculators. Yes. Joseph Laycock, an associate professor professor of religion at Texas State University. Ken Gerhard, my favorite, who I mentioned earlier. He's a cryptozoologist. And Marita uh, Wowood, a level-headed cryptozoologist. Exactly. Marita Wowood Crandall, the owner of Boutique de Vampire. They all start to tell us about, you know, so... Located in the lobby of the hotel where the producers of this <laughs> thing were staying. <laughs> so, um, Jacques Saint-Germain, that's the man that they've identified as the one who was allegedly in the room when a woman 
leapt to her death after being attacked by him. Or left to her death. It's exactly. Like, it's still up in the air. So that somebody has made a connection, we don't know who, between Jacques de Saint-Germain, all these French words are just going to tie me up in knots, and a much older gentleman who is referred to as Comte Saint-Germain, who lived in Paris over a century earlier and was rumored to be an alchemist. Um, who claimed he had found the secret to eternal life and never looked a day over 40. That's that's one of those ages where, like, really in, like, the 18th century, not looking a day over 40 was a big deal. Didn't a lot of people die around 40 then? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were well before. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. you were 40, you were pretty old. So it was like, <laughs> Never looked a day Much, over 83. Yeah, right. It's really, it's not as big a claim in that particular time, at day and time. But, you know, still... So allegedly the Comte de, de Saint-Germain or Comte Saint-Germain disappeared and everybody lost track of him. And then all of a sudden, years later, all of a sudden, years later, doesn't work, I know. But years <laughs> later. <laughs> Abruptly, a really ta- long, a long time, time ago. Um, Jacques Saint-Germain shows up in New Orleans being all weird and not eating and drinking wine mixed with blood. And yeah, looking just like. Comte de Saint-Germain. Which they never prove because there's no picture of Jacques Saint-Germain Because they shown. didn't have pictures then. <laughs> drawings and portraits. He was rich. He could have a painter, you know, come in and paint him and then kill him. And yeah, it was, it was, they, I think it, they could have found something. Or they could have found that, you know, a painting where he had somebody put wings and horns on it. And <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily have been him. So... What they produce instead of photo or painterly evidence is a story that uh, the New Orleans-based historian tells us, which is that one night recently, someone in the middle of a crowd on Bourbon Street claimed that the crowd parted around a man in sunglasses and a dark coat who raised his head and sniffed the <laughs> And then exposed him, <laughs> exposed himself, and peed on his girlfriend, <laughs> and was arrested, <laughs> and went back to and Milwaukee. was asked to put his coat back on, <laughs> exactly, and go back to his hotel on Canal Street. No, that's <laughs> not the story we're given. We're told this man is pop- probably Jacques Saint Germain, even though there's no real proof of that. So, or and nobody has any idea what Jacques Saint Germain even looked like. And they do this thing that they often do in these specials, which are like, vampire legends spread all over the world, even in China. Like, okay, yeah, the China, China is, is a big part, part of the world. The world. Yeah. But in China, the vampires they refer to had stiff bodies and outstretched arms. So they show a series of illustrations, and there's some variation between them as they flash through them. But it's like... The proliferation of an idea that has not been proved is not proof of the idea. I'm sorry. I hate to sound like the guy who dies in a horror movie, but, you know, facts are facts, (laughs) ma'am. Anyway. I'm sorry. Did you come to the unexplained looking for facts? (laughs) Certainly. The key is in the title. The key is also in- Unexplained is actually the title. But did you see the label given to Dr. Harvey Rosenstock, MD, psychiatrist and lichen- How do you say that? Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy expert. Lycanthropy. I'll say it three times to remember it. No, don't say it three times. Then they'll appear, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then they smell. All right. Like, he'll come and start lecturing us about psychology and lycanthropy. And so lycanthropy means werewolfism. That's three times. God <laughs> damn it. I warned you. <laughs> They're here. <laughs> oh, that's just my dog, Banjo. Um, he points out for us that the Romanian words for both werewolves and vampires are very similar. And in Dracula, the Bram Stoker novel, the vampire has the power to turn into a wolf. This was actually, to me, the most interesting part of the episode, that these this legend, werewolves and vampires, start was kind of the same. And then it split off. The rights were divided up between various groups of people looking to explain away their bad Bella behavior. Bella needed a job, and so did Claude Rains. Yeah. But Junior. In, instead of exploring that, we go to Murray, Kentucky in 1995, and we meet a difficult—I'm sorry, that's, that's me reading my notes too fast. After a difficult childhood— <laughs> 15-year-old Rod Farrell becomes obsessed with what is described for us as blood-drenched horror movies. 
And then they begin talking about my mother, which made me super uncomfortable to have. But what they start talking about is how, as we all know, mom's achievement with her novels was that she made the vampire one of us. She made the vampire a relatable point of view. It was, it was from his point of view. It right. was the, the everything else had been Bram Stoker and everybody else. The, the, the vampire had been somebody we did not have an interior monologue on. Right. He was the outside. He was the other. Whereas... Anne's great breakthrough was we saw things from the point of view right. of the vampire. It was brilliant. It was so simple and such so genius. And I remember this story being on our periphery and mom being really uncomfortable about it, and that'll be clear um, as we get into it. But the obsession that young Rod Farrell developed, as it's explained here, was not actually with the Vampire Chronicles. It was with a, a LARP. He was a LARPer, which is live-action role-playing. And there was a specific role-playing game called, I think it's still around, Vampire the Masquerade. And that was Rod's beat. He was obsessed with this game. He recruited friends of his to play the game with him. And they eventually... Um, the role-playing, it sounds like, turned into a form of delusion for Rod. He came to believe he was the embodiment of a 400-year-old vampire named, I, I want to call it Asagio, but that's a cheese. Visagio or Visago? I was spelling it out phonetically as I was listening to the special, so. I'm not sure that I'm even seeing it. I don't remember it and can't think that it's really important. It's not really important. It was made up by this child but, who yes. believed he was a vampire and... Um, had all that hair. There's a whole story here that we didn't get. I mean, this could have been a whole episode of True Crime TV Club, you know, and maybe we'll do it eventually if we're interested in it. But um, his mother becomes involved. She's very supportive, but then she becomes a part of it and maybe encouraged him in his delusion in a really unhealthy way. He's developing blood rituals that are about bringing his friends into his coven. And she wants to, like, you know, play the game with him. She's, yeah. yeah, it's a... It was an, it was one of those like oh maybe that wasn't the right choice. You do what you're best with kids. I, I don't blame parents a lot because yeah. unless they're brutal or savage or you know abusive, but yeah. um, but I think people are trying to do their best with kids and sometimes you encourage the wrong thing. I guess I don't know. I felt bad for her because she must have felt responsible. And when you tell a story like that in synopsis like this, people end up looking like villains if you don't really go into their side of it or, or their role in it. But she just was, you know, like if he'd been into getting into drag and she'd been willing yeah. to go to the gay bars and cheer for him and help him rehearse the songs and do his makeup, that wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that was terrible. And that was the thing that I think, you know, Anne dealt with a lot was people contacting her, emailing her and saying, I'm so worried my daughter is wearing, reading your books and she's wearing black eyeshadow and she's dressing like a goth. And my mother's response was, your daughter is simply trying to connect with something that she thinks is beautiful. Like that, those things that you listed by themselves do not lead to devil worship. They don't lead to animal sacrifice. They don't lead to what you have been told they lead to. Right. And so... And I think given the ending of this little story, that that's sort of borne out because what ultimately happens is they move to Florida. Rod develops a close friendship with a woman named Heather Wendorf. I blame Florida. Yeah. Oh, you always blame Florida. Of Florida course. and Colorado. You blame. And then oh you won't God. let anybody get outside of a car in Oregon because right. you think it's so dangerous. It is. It is. You know, there's a lot of empirical data to support that. But what happens is that, um, and Rod has also claimed to be sexually abused by his grandfather. So mother trying to be more invested in his life Which may they be just a response sort of to that. On. That's why I was saying Rod's story is sort of a bigger story. But it would have been that would be her father, and so maybe she was abused too. I don't know. You're probably looking at a pretty damaged group of people. What, so what ultimately happens, though, is that he befriends Heather, and then on November 25th, 1996, Heather tells Rod her father is abusing her. The nature of the abuse is not made clear. Is it sexual? Is it physical? Is it both? Um, and so Rod and three of his friends basically kill the dad. And I'm like, this is a horrible story. And the mom. And the mom with a crowbar. But there's no element of vampire role-playing in this murder. Or devil worship or anything else. This is it's a crime, people, right, that could have been committed by anyone who had lost their shit. Anybody with a crowbar. Yeah, who believed that the woman they loved was being violently and abused. And a willingness to use it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was kind of extraneous, but he did the one thing and then he did the other thing. And so it's like there's not a causal link, but they kind of were grasping at something. Yeah. 
Uh, he's convicted of first-degree murder, and that's really the last they share of that story. So, okay. What else is there to say? I mean, yeah. he came in and beat people to death with a crowbar, so kind of, yeah. Well, I was sitting there, like, was there a revelation that Heather had embellished or fabricated? Did she want to just be free of her parents? That's always an element of those stories that people try to explore. And all of that may be true, but it doesn't change the fact that he came in and beat those people to death with, with a crowbar. crowbar. I don't know that I would see it as first-degree, because that seems more like... Second degree or manslaughter, but yeah. just the same. He didn't, if he'd brought the crowbar as okay. opposed to finding it in their garage, I suppose I would have seen it yeah. as first degree. That's, that's, and that's, that becomes relevant at trial. Yeah. Okay. So, and we go to New Orleans in 2019, which will forever in my mind be the year before the world changed. I think that's how it's going to be in everybody's mind. So, I think, guess this was filmed before the pandemic. Uh, we meet a gentleman. <laughs> His name, they call him Czar, and I think that's what we want to call him. I think him. that's where we're going to go. But his real full name is presented as Belfazar Asha, as I can't. Okay. Um, he identifies as a- Ashantison. Ashantison, thank you. He identifies as a sanguine vampire, meaning he actually drinks this blood. Was this was just, just disgusting. So gross. I couldn't, I could barely handle this. I watched it, but I was, I was not, I did not enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't believe anything he was saying. No, it was um, just complete bullshit. He's 54 years old. He's been drinking blood since he was 11. That's a lie. What, he, how did he get blood when he was 11? <laughs> he claims that his uncle tried to attack him and his sister, and he ran at him when he was 11 and, and bit, him. bit him. And he I came bit alive. My uncle too. I'm not a... <laughs> but did you come alive when the taste of his blood hit your mouth, as Czar tells us? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. Um, so one of our talking heads, Dr. Browning, who is a professor at National University, volunteers to be a blood donor for Czar. In a scene I found bizarrely homoerotic, he takes off his shirt and he's wearing a tank top and he lets Czar poke a series of holes in the back of his shoulder and suck his blood. I mean, it wasn't hideously gruesome, but there was just something so repellent about There's it. There's a scene in the first Dune movie mm. where the uncle and two of the... I think Sting may even be one of them. Two of the nephews, they bring in this sacrifice person with like a heart plug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like a zip top. They just pull yeah. it out and drink the blood. It was one of the most disturbing things. I've never been able to get it out of my mind since oh, then. God. It was so upsetting to me that it was yeah. just it was just revolting. It was horrible. Yeah. And this reminded me of that. This was way less. Um, Catastrophic than than that than the the scene with this was more just him licking the blood that he was yeah spreeking him on the shoulder and then licking the blood off it was and it he, was gross he claims that if he's gone without drinking blood and he claims that his health declines and then there's no medical evidence for this they say that some people may have a biological condition known as um, uh, porphyria which means they're anemic essentially and they need blood. And that there's a related skin condition um, that makes you highly sensitive to the sun and that this may be the origin of all vampirism stories. That the people in ancient times, superstitious medieval times with this condition were became uh, monsters in the minds of others, which is unfortunate and but scientifically But how did they know unsound. they needed blood? I think the special made that connection. Like, I don't think like, they... I don't know how ancients would have known that the problem would be caused by drinking blood. I mean... Ancients did so much. Blood was such a life force element in so much of ancient culture that right. that, that there could be any number of mm -hmm. sort of crossover connections. It was that, to me, it seems that's more the origin of whatever the vampire story would be, the combination of immortality and blood being a life source kind, mm -hmm. of, uh, kind of element. I didn't really see that. And I thought the guy was, he just seemed fraudulent. Like, the... There may be people out there who are, in fact, in fact, we presented them. I think the some of the people last year when we did that story about the Highgate Cemetery, Vampire, yeah. there were people drinking people's blood, weren't there? I, I, I vaguely so. recall that in the story. Like, I think people do make the effort either ritualistically or whatever to try and participate in a sort of vampire-driven fantasy. But I, I just I found this guy not very credible. Um, in the face of, of, of all of the rest of the stuff they were talking about. Yeah. 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio Um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. And now it's time for a visit, and I don't think this is our first visit, to a place called Skinwalker Ranch. Do you remember Skinwalker Ranch from a previous episode? what was that episode about? I think it was about Bigfoot, but I can't... It was weird footage. It was some episode about weird footage of stuff that might be supernatural, and someone was, like, driving past Skinwalker Ranch and claimed to have footage of a weird loping werewolf creature. Yeah, Skinwalker Ranch is just one of those sort of... It's like Area 50-whatever. Yes, it's exactly like Area 50-whatever. Like, it's just this sort of name-drop kind of thing. Well, do you know the story of Skinwalker Ranch? Why don't you tell it to me? I don't well, know the well, story the special of kind of, I think, does a good job. I've tried to watch a couple things about Skinwalker Ranch, and I realized the explanation I want to come up with in a novel someday is better than anything they're presenting me with. But the idea is that there was, I believe, a war between the Navajo and the Ute. Uh, indigenous tribes. Right. The Navajo were forced to leave the land, and so allegedly they cursed it. And part of that curse produces werewolf-like creatures, animal-human shifters. Um, And the local Ute tribe claims the region has carried this curse for years, and um, they're very respectful of it. Like, they don't fuck around with it. They don't wander all over the land in question. They're like, yeah, Navajo really don't messed mess that up. Don't with, vam- with the werewolves. And they Sorry. claim not this. vampires. Right. Well, you know, and we, yeah, not vampires in this particular chapter of the story. But um, so typically witches or shaman who use black magic to transform into the forms of various animals uh, will be referred to as skinwalkers. Right. Okay. So, so it's sort of like a slur. Well, um, I don't know if it's a slur as much as that's it's, what they call the um, in in Blade Runner. They call the uh, the, the the sort of humanoids the, the yeah the engineered skin jobs. They call yes. them skin jobs, right? This is more. I, I'm going to say this is more of a direct translation of an indigenous term, probably that doesn't quite track. But like shifter. Is, is a term that's really popular in paranormal fiction right. today. Shifter romance is a huge category, and it's not always. And so skinwalker means you can, when we get into, and there we talked some before about this National Geographic article I want to bring into this that was not on the special, the, the, there's a genderized distinction with some of these beings, like male, werewolf, or lycanthropy, or however you fucking say it, is often associated with masculinity. <laughs> I'm not. I'll go home later and practice. Like it's associated with aggression and masculinity, and so a skinwalker is like a powerful shaman. I think it indicates I have the ability to change form. I'm that magical. I see. You know, as opposed to I'm a fraud. You know what I mean? Which is kind of how we would look at it today. The skin job thing. (laughs) I'm pretending to be a human, but really I'm a wolf. A wolf without a foot. Anyway. 
So a ride without a crew. It's suddenly a moonstruck podcast. Everything's a moonstruck podcast. So 1995, the Skinwalker Ranch is bought by a couple named the Shermans. They're experienced ranch hands, and they claim that uh, Mr. Sherman went out to tend to the cattle one day and found them being attacked by a large uh, wolf-like creature. And he took out a 357 Magnum and shot it point blank, and nothing happened. The wolf was completely unfazed. He said he had the same result with a deer hunting rifle, which I don't know guns, but that sounds like a really big fucking gun. Um, and it only took off a piece of flesh and fur. And then the wolf disappeared. Well, it didn't it, run away. It disappeared. I thought he followed it and it disappeared. Yes, exactly. So it was it, following the tracks and the tracks just stopped. Yes. And wolves are not native to the state of Utah. For the last hundred years. For the last they kill them all, I exactly. guess. Exactly. But also because, my God... It seems really dry. And it seems really dry, yeah. Desolate. I don't know, like, would I'm they not do? sure what wolves would do there, but yeah. Okay. There are a lot of cattle mutilations in the area, and if you really, this doesn't happen in this special, but if you want to go down a Skinwalker Ranch rabbit hole, the connection- Which I'm getting the impression that maybe you have done. I have maybe just a little bit. Um, it turns Did into- Did you see the rabbits? No, it turns into, I saw little gray aliens. I see. Because that's where cattle mutilations are often blamed on extraterrestrial spacecraft, so there's a lot There's a lot of moving parts, as we like or to say. McDonald's. <laughs> like to say. Or McDonald's. Or carnivores. Right. Um, we're, we meet a little, a cute guy named Ryan Skinner who says ridiculous things, but I forgave him because he has pretty lips. And, uh, he describes a story that's just not true. I, I like, he was adorable, but the story he tells of these balls of light. Christopher wrote in his notes, he needs to kiss me with his pretty boy lips. <laughs> I got a little carried away when I was taking notes. Um... But he says he was out exploring Skinwalker Ranch with some fellow paranormal seekers, and he saw wink, wink. balls of light, um, <laughs> and one of them exploded, and a very large wolf came towards him, and he woke up pregnant. No. Um, and that's about as much as we get about the history of Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, it just sort of abruptly stops. Right. So then we get the the real condition that may be related to say I it will say, say it though when, say it again lycanthropy like, like okay I can't one of the things that I remember um was I I was remembering when I was watching this was when your mom was talking about mm -hmm. writing the wolf gift books right. she wrote her own sort of werewolf she never really got she called a man wolf yes. She didn't really go with the werewolf label. But part of the thing, when she said she was doing it, I remember saying to her, she was like, I said, I've never really been a big fan of werewolf movies and werewolf stuff because it's so gross. Yes. That thing where the, the bones snap and the things mm -hmm. come through the, the claws and stuff come out through the skin and it just looks violent and unpleasant and whatever. And she was like, oh, I completely agree. She said, I absolutely want to get rid of that. And it's one of the things I really love about the Wolf Gift books mm -hmm. is that when the shift happens, mm -hmm. it, it is nothing like that. It is not gross and covered in ectoplasmic slime and blood and skin being ripped and bones snapping and I remember this conversation differently. I remember you convincing her to write the Wolf Gift books. I remember sitting around a dinner table out in the desert and and she was saying, well, I've thought about werewolves, but it's so gross. And, and you agreed with her, but you also said, do your own thing. Like you did your own thing with vampires. Do it with werewolves. Change the... Because what my memory of those books is that it becomes a sensual experience yeah. for the person making the shift, which which, yeah. which was very much the Anne Rice way to go with it, and maybe that is the way it unfolded. I, think I remember because I, I she wanted to do it, but it, that was the block. That was the block, and her werewolves eat evil. That's really they're almost like superhero werewolves. They smell evil being done, and they go and they consume the evil doer. Right, it's the opposite of vampires. Well, not really. It's sort no. of where the vampires progress to. Yeah, you're removing the evil doers. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. yeah, maybe so. But I do remember that that we yeah. shared that. I remember sharing that with her. That sense of like, yeah, it's just disgusting. Most yeah. most werewolf 
movies just I they I can never really stick with them because of the transition is so vile. Okay, and I and I think, but maybe it, I did talk it, around it, to it. I don't know. This leads me to I think an interesting point about werewolves in general, which this National Geographic article touches on. The rest of the special was not that interesting to me. There is a real medical condition called werewolf syndrome. Um, they talk about a young boy in India who was born with it in 2006. They talk about P.T. Barnum's exploitation of people with genetic um, mutations and freak shows and such like that. You know, the syndrome is called hypertrichosis. You just sort of grow hair all over your body. Yeah, and, really some yeah. kind of strangely beautiful photography of people with this condition where they're just every – they're just completely covered with hair. yeah. Uh, and then they talk about what something they referenced earlier. You know, Dracula by Bram Stoker is published in London, England in 1897 to critical acclaim. And that it was really about sexuality. You know, Dracula was a sexual outlaw. And the source of vampirism in some ancient superstitious uh, medieval whatever was if you did something horrible like incest, suicide, or witchcraft. And... So the National Geographic article that came up like this week. I'm yeah. sorry, it was incest, suicide, or witchcraft? Witchcraft, that's what I'm getting to. That there were werewolf scares in medieval Europe the way there were witchcraft scares. There were less wolves in medieval Europe, so they were not as prevalent. But this was a way of essentially characterizing or pathologizing a, in a supernatural way a man who had done horrible things, allegedly, again, in the way that the witchcraft scares were used against women. Uh -huh. So it was like male witchcraft. But the legend that would pop up again and again was that werewolves were almost exclusively male when uh -huh. they were people were accused, as that they had a device or some sort of tool that is what enabled the transformation like a belt and um, whereas witchcraft was believed to be about the ethereal, about spells, incantations, whatever, women were uh -huh. never accused of using tools to transform their form. Huh. But this was an accusation that was made against um, men. There were 300 uh, werewolf trials in Germany, whereas there were 30,000 really? witchcraft trials in Germany. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because it was men, and so if he said he wasn't a werewolf, well, then you just took his word for it, and everybody went for a pint. So the biggest of these, which is what National Geographic wrote about recently, was um, a man named Peter Stumpf, who was a 50-year-old farmer who had confessed to making a pact with the devil. Um, oh, it was devil-based. Yeah, he wanted the ability to turn into a werewolf, and so the devil allegedly would grant you this gave tool. Gave him a belt. Right, gave him a belt. But this was all a story that was told in response to him having already done hideous things like incest. He killed 16 people, 13 of whom were children. Jesus He killed Christ. his own children. He was a horrible man. And so there's a, there's a contemporary thinking that least. he was an abominable man. He was um, hideously executed, broken on the wheel, skinned, you know, horrible things. Oh, oh dear. Very retributive. Um the only source we have about this story is a pamphlet that was translated from the German into English. And I'm, I immediately thought, oh, this is the English trying to right, the train station. smear the Germans, you know, yeah. whatever. There's no, there's a really thin historical record around this trial, right? But the pamphlet depicts the crimes, the execution, and the trial in several panels, and it was translated into English. Um, and so, you know, people have gone nuts sort of speculating what this was really about. But the figures I referenced earlier in the article, 30,000 to 45,000 executions for witchcraft in Germany during this period, 300 cases. And I don't think this is execution. I think this is like investigations or trials into possible werewolves. Accused werewolves were mostly but not exclusively male and most were shepherds, right? So in the case of this gentleman, Peter Stumpf, he, um, again, allegedly, this sounds, I don't know, apocryphal is the word for it, but made up. Um, <laughs> a shepherd it was. Sounds like bullshit to me. Like bullshit, exactly. A shepherd was attacked by a wolf. The wolf was missing a paw, and then he ran, the shepherd survived and ran into Peter Stump later, and he was missing a hand, so he decided that Peter Stump was, and yeah, his name is Stump. That's also another Just thing. Just really not going down that it's, path. Yeah, um, a lot, but I say that because the story sounds a little too neat, you know what I mean? 
So, um, uh, yeah, I'm like. So they killed a guy for having a missing hand. They, they killed a guy for having a missing hand. They killed a guy who was a, a serial killer, and that that was the most convincing explanation. Or like, a sheep fucker. Like some of these people were like they couldn't accept that a human being would do something so horrible. So you were possessed, right? You had a there was a demonic explanation. People still say that about criminal cases, you know? They were saying that about the Marjorie Stoning, Stoner, Goodman, whatever the... the, the, the Marjorie guy who Taylor they, Green? The the guy who um, killed all those people on Valentine's Day in that Florida high school, the Marjorie oh, Stoner... Oh, yes. I can't right. remember the... The Parkland the, shooting, right? Is it Was it Parkland School? Or yeah, Park, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the name of the high school was that woman's name, and yeah. I'm not getting it exactly right, but the, in the sentencing of him, because they didn't elect to kill him they elected mm. to keep him in prison for life a lot of people's response was that this he was pure evil and should be mm-hmm. should be killed which you know they're entitled to i could certainly see if it had affected me directly yeah like try and stop me from killing him myself right. <laughs> might be my response so yeah. i completely understand um but but it is often that the idea of this is irretrievably this is irretrievable right. evil this is irredeemable yeah and we don't want to believe that it is an, even an element of humanity or what we describe as humanity well it's so devoid of it you can't yeah. really even imagine yeah it's, that it that it that it does include any sort of that a human being could do this sort of thing. Well, and the, the, you know, getting back to the article, their their basic basic assertion is that if there had been more wolves, there would be more accusations of werewolfism. And there were not a lot of wolves in Europe. This is from National Geographic yeah. magazine, yeah. which I just was like, wow. Yeah. So Bill Shatner is getting pretty good company now. If that. Nat Geo is starting to cover. Um, at no point does this article posit that werewolves are real, though. I have to give them credit. This is really about a pamphlet that has yeah. caused much and speculation. And confession and whatever. And, and gender and a gender imbalance in these hysterias, you know, I think was what they were talking about too. But like, yeah, but William Shatner really during the special looks at the camera is like, well, if you still don't believe werewolves exist, what about this? And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to do it either, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. No. And all he's the only thing that Bill ever really asserts is that it's unexplained. Yeah. Mm. That's he he always do they that thing at the very end, at the end of every episode, he does a little verbal gymnastics to bring you back to and that's why it's still unexplained. Right. <laughs> I wish he did that. You know, you, they I, should have you do that I each know. episode. They really should. They should fly me in, and that could be my. I could be like the Ed McMahon of yes. the Bill Shatner um, unexplained thing. I'll just sit there and go. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. All after right. After he says that, how much time do you have left? Um, four minutes. Okay. Um, well, you know, I do. You, do any final thoughts on the topic of looking through me? Well, one of the things I would like to point out is, like, maybe you shouldn't rush me so much when I'm killing time in the middle. <laughs> I just wanted to get to that Nat Geo article at the end. I was worried we weren't going to have time, but clearly we have fu- too much fucking time. Deeply concerned about getting to that Nat Geo article. Um, <laughs> I, you know, like, I think that, um, I think that vampires and uh, werewolves, um, and a lot of the stories of monsters and the others are ways of describing ourselves mm-hmm. in in other ways. The vampirism seems to be principally about notions of immortality mm-hmm. to me. It is about, and by um, uh, by default, about mortality. Right. Vampires are dead but they're alive so that it is about it is ultimately a symbolic story about our own mortality intentionally or not that Mm -hmm. seems to be the underlying whereas and this was i thought pointed out in the special and and the nat geo article um werewolves are about um life force gone kind of run amok yes sexuality in particular hormones yes but like just completely yeah the the hair starts growing Mm -hmm. in and suddenly you're all alive that is something that happens in adolescence i mean maybe not to the extent that you become a wolf but it's still your body changes and you are suddenly much more sexually active than you were before when you didn't even 
conceive of that because you were a child, but they're, they're, those seem really kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that that seems to be the origin of those stories to me in, and the reason that it came down through um, so much history. One of the things they did, um, I, I love that they had um, in, in, I think it was in India, they had were tigers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, were panthers in Mexico. And right. I'm trying to remember different, but, you know, whatever the, whatever the um, powerful apex predator was right. in whatever culture, that tended to be the sort of personification, if you will, of the, the, the life force in terms of um, its expression through sexuality and through and dominance, mm-hmm. um, which to me was like it seems that despite the fact that we are that we participated in an almost um, I don't know celebratory it's kind of a campfire story now right but it is born I think from our own human tradition of um, how mystifying life must have been I I often think what must the world have seemed like when there was, you know, no electricity or housing or running water or medicine or anything. It just, at a certain point, everything goes black Mm -hmm. and there is no way of lighting it up. And you lose consciousness for a long period of time and are completely vulnerable to anything in the elements. And like, what, how daunting... Life must have seemed for how long yeah. in our own history as human beings before we kind of we've come up with all kinds of, you know, building a house and a roof and warm clothing and food mm-hmm. storage and medicine and a kind a lot of explanations for the way in which the world evolves. But to just be presented mm-hmm. with here it is. Right. <laughs> figure it out. Like I can see how people came up with wackadoodle stories to try and explain stuff because there were no explanations on offer mm-hmm. to people for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of open, unexplored world, like you're saying. When there the dark, still is. When the dark, and that's the other thing that I think. There still is, and we take for granted how much there is. Yeah. So I try to remain smart, skeptical, but also open-minded on some of these topics, because there's a lot, there's a, every now and then there's like, oh, we found a fish that we thought had been extinct for 20,000 years. Or that we've never <laughs> seen before, or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So our next episode, um, it's Halloween. And we're going to talk about some Halloween stuff, but there's also kind of a sad thing that we talk about around Halloween, which is it will be the 32nd, I believe, anniversary of the murder of William Arnold Newton. And we will actually be joined in studio this time by the LAPD homicide detective who has inherited that case. Right. Who says he has some things to share with us. We don't know what they are yet, but we will share them with you next week on our episode yeah, and when we haven't. Were, we've previously covered, if you're not familiar with it, we'll... Um Billy was killed here. Resident West Hollywood killed in 1980, 1990, 1990 on Halloween or right before his body was discovered. And it's an unsolved case. And we sort of have taken it up here and done what we can. And we found maybe somebody who was possibly one of the last people to see Billy alive. And Mm -hmm. uh, we've, the police actually, in one of the most astounding things that's ever happened to us, the police actually came to us. Right. After yeah. hearing the podcast, which was like, I, we just didn't quite know how to react to that. But it, you know, there, we have hoped that we could at least keep interest in the case alive. And do, do we have the... Um, yes. Yeah, so the most recent episode we did on the case was episode 98, which is, um, we call them the murder of William Newton, colon, and then there's part two through five. The first one is called 30 Years Later. Uh, they're in our archive. Episode 98 summarizes everything that kind of up to date, but they also include 37, 48, 60, 63, 74. The easiest thing is to go to your podcast app of choice, open us up, and if they have a search feature, search for William Newton, and, and all those episodes should come up. 
And, you know, like I said, 98 summarizes everything that sort of happened for us in real time in the previous episodes, because we've been talking about this for about two years. The 30th anniversary, by coincidence, was when we took up talking about the case for the first time. We were inspired by something else. But, right, um, yeah. And maybe yeah. we can post the, um, yes. the, 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 the episode numbers on... On the Facebook on the page. Facebook page, so you can go there and look it up because it is difficult to find them on our website because you can't search it in the way that we would like for yeah, you to. Totally. But um, but we're working on that, so uh, forgive us our sins. And but we can we can certainly post that there for um, for for you to look at if you want to kind of see some of our other thoughts and efforts in and around looking into this particular mystery in this this family tragedy that this right. poor kid was murdered and um, there's still no it's still unsolved so next week we'll also be um, an, an edition of True Crime TV Club in a different part of the episode and we'll be talking about um, an episode of True Crime with Aphrodite Jones entitled A Halloween Horror Story that is season 5 episode 3 it's available on Discovery Plus and also on whatever commercial Discovery ID streaming option is right. out there which I think is free Um like we always say, uh, not a requirement to watch the episode in advance. We will serve it up for you in enough detail that you will feel like you've watched it. And if you're Cindy Conforti, you prefer our version to the one that you will find on TV. Apparently. So, so big episode. Next episode going to is going to be bigger than usual, despite right. saucy comment against me at That's the beginning me. of this episode. Why so saucy, Bernays? <laughs> Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Sean Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>